I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and this is Transmission. Today's episode, The Counterpunch, how scientists are taking a new look at a century-old quest to harness the body's defense forces. I'm teaming up on this one with producer Jennifer Wing. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Gabe. Yeah, we are talking about a, a key weapon, a main player in the body's defense system, antibodies. They're proteins that are produced by our blood in response to a virus, and they attack viruses. Right now, there are a lot of doctors, a lot of scientists who are working on ways to use antibodies to help fight COVID-19. Yeah, this is a really important frontier in, in, in the research in terms of how to tackle this pandemic. But the technique that is mainly being used is actually really old. It goes way back to the 1890s. And I, I'd like to tell you this story real quick because I got kind of a kick out of it. So there was this German scientist named Emil von Behring who had observed that people with diphtheria who get sick and then recover generally don't get sick again. So he hypothesized that it seems like they have developed some kind of immunity. So he went to work trying to figure that out in a bunch of guinea pigs, like actual guinea pigs. And what he did was he was able to extract blood products from one guinea pig put them in another guinea pig, and that second one would get better from diphtheria. So that was the first time we had transferred immunity from one organism to another. It was a huge deal. And eventually they sort of scaled it up to bigger animals, and they started using sheep, and then they started using horses. Then they actually used blood products from the horses to treat human beings. So this was a huge breakthrough, and in fact, it was the source of the very, very first Nobel Prize in medicine in 1901. It went to this guy, Emil von Behring, and the Nobel Committee, I'm going to give you a direct quote here, praised his work, by which he has opened a new road in the domain of medical science and thereby placed in the hands of the physician a victorious weapon against illness and deaths. So pretty stirring stuff. Wow. So what else has this tool been used against? Yeah, I mean, diphtheria is a is a very different kind of disease than COVID, but it's also been used in, in viral illnesses like measles and in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. And most recently, it's been used with Ebola. So we know it works, uh, but for a lot of reasons, this idea of transferring blood products, plasma, which we'll talk more about in a minute, it's pretty hard to scale up to what we need right now to make a difference. So what scientists are trying to do is take this kind of blunt Victorian era hammer and turned it into a modern medical precision tool. So researchers are trying in a bunch of different ways to just understand the the nuts and the bolts of this therapy and then dial it in to actually put a dent in the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, you can come at a virus two different ways. There is active immunization and that's a vaccine. That's, you know, the shots that we get when we're kids mostly. And that triggers your body to build an army of antibodies to fight off an invader. That's your own army. And as we all know right now, we're all waiting for a vaccine against COVID-19. It's like the golden egg that we're waiting for to hatch. Um, and then there is what's called passive immunization. And that's what we're talking about using the antibodies from someone else, injecting someone else's antibodies inside you to help you out. Exactly. Somebody else's army has come to help you fight the war. This is Dr. Terry Grinsheimer. I'm professor of medicine in the Division of Hematology at the University of Washington and the medical director of transfusion at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. So I assume that Dr. Grinsheimer is not using like horse juice to inject into people. So how do we get these little soldiers into our bodies these days? 
Well, the antibodies are in a yellowish serum called convalescent plasma, plasma from someone who has survived COVID-19 and who has come out the other side. And plasma is basically what's left over when you take out all of the red and white blood cells from your blood. Uh, it has a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of mystery about plasma, things that doctors are wanting to know more about. So you get about a liter of this injected into your system. And Dr. Gernsheimer is hearing anecdotally from other doctors around the country who are trying this therapy, and they're cautiously optimistic. I'm just hearing from individuals all over saying, you know, this was amazing. We gave the patient the plasma and he, she got better. Um, we all so badly want to find something to mitigate that we're really happy to try this, but we have to be careful to understand, is it working? And if it's working, why is it working? So Dr. Grinsheimer and her colleague at the University of Washington, Dr. Anna Wald, they're looking at people who have recovered from COVID-19 and they want to learn more about why did you recover? We're thrilled that you did. Why you? What was it about you that made you different from the guy next door? And they're hoping to get answers by examining the blood from these people and looking at the level of antibodies that they have in their system. These blood samples we think are gonna be very precious in helping us understand the disease. So what we'd like to be able to do is link that donor to the patient who then gets that plasma. And what do they look like before and what do they look like afterwards? And again, what does the antibody do? How long does the antibody stick around? And what Dr. Grinsheimer really wants to do is a controlled study that answers this particular question. Is it convalescent plasma with someone else's antibodies? Is that what is helping? Or can we give a patient fighting COVID-19 plasma from anyone and see some positive results? Is there something else at play that we don't understand just yet? I suspect if there is indeed an effect, it is not just the antibody. Mystery. Well, it seems like the part that we understand the best so far is, is how the antibodies work. Um, I mean, when I say we, I mean scientists, not me, because I, I, for one, couldn't even picture an antibody. Like, do, do you know what an antibody looks like? You know, I, I imagine it's really tiny, and that's all I got. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's really tiny. Well, I, I, I asked an expert about this. I hit up Lexi Walls, who's a senior scientist at the Wiesler Lab at the University of Washington, and um, we had talked to her recently about um, how the virus interacts with our, our cells and our body. And she painted a picture of what the antibodies look like. You can imagine an antibody like a Y. So it actually looks exactly like a Y shape. And each arm of the Y is actually what's specific to that pathogen. So it binds to a specific region on that pathogen. Antibodies can do a few different kinds of things. They can disrupt the function of a virus. They can you know, send out signals to other immune cells that say, hey, we have an enemy here, everybody come attack it. Or they can also just kind of get in the way. Um, these viruses do their dirty work by attaching to a receptor on cells in our body, mostly cells in our lungs. And that happens by way of a, a little molecular handshake, like a protein on the virus binds to the protein on the cell. And so if you can get in the way, 
and keep the virus from ever entering the cell, then you can prevent a cascade of all kinds of bad stuff that happens next. If the pathogen has to make a, a specific interaction with your host cell, the antibody can literally prevent that from happening just by taking up space. So with that in mind, you know, people all over the world are, are, are working on ways to use this to fight COVID. And there's a lot of really interesting work happening right here in the Northwest. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We heard earlier from Dr. Gernsheimer about what the University of Washington is doing. Their samples are being collected by Bloodworks Northwest. And Bloodworks Northwest is like the hub on a bicycle wheel. From Bloodworks Northwest, there are these spokes. Some of the plasma is going to the University of Washington, and some's being sent to hospitals all over the Northwest, Yakima, Edmonds, Everett, down to Portland. A lot of these hospitals in the region, they're joining a study being done by the Mayo Clinic. And Bloodworks Northwest is also doing its own research. They're studying people who have recovered who are donating multiple times uh, to see if there's a change in their antibody levels. Are they dropping with each donation? Are they staying the same? Doctors want to know how much to give a person who's sick. Will a little bit of convalescent plasma, will that go a long way? Will that do the trick? Or does a person need a lot of it to have some sort of positive effect to reduce symptoms? So these are all questions about how to make this plasma, this kind of weird blood broth, more effective. But like, what's the next step for that? Are we still going to have to be pumping a liter of this stuff into into patients in order to make it work? Hopefully, no, because you can get these antibodies from convalescent plasma into a smaller dose. And this involves collecting plasma from a lot of people who have recovered from COVID-19. Dr. Gernsheimer says that it gets filtered down and it turns into something called hyperimmune globulin. I think hyperimmune globulin will work. It, it, it's worked where it's been tested before. And there's going to be a lot of testing before we just start giving out hyperimmune globulin. All of those, this has happened so fast. Um, we're trying to learn on the job, which is pretty hard. And Dr. Gernsheimer says that one of the hopes is that when there are surges in infection with COVID-19, you know, until we get a vaccine, that you can give people in those hot zones these smaller but more potent doses of hyperimmune globulin. You can really get it concentrated and then it can last for months. The half-life of antibody is about um, 28 days. And if you have very little of it, you know, and you lose half of it, you didn't have a lot to start with. If you give a, a big dose, um, you will be able to, if you encounter that virus, neutralize it before it ever can take hold. So we started with plasma, 1890s, and then now we're down to the concentrated antibodies, which might be a smaller package, more effective. And then the next step might be actually creating new antibodies from scratch. Um, so... Alexi Walls in her lab, the, the, the David Wiesler lab at the University of Washington, identified an antibody in a patient who had SARS. And you remember SARS? It broke out in China in the early 2000s. And it's a close relative of this new coronavirus. This antibody was actually screened from a SARS-CoV-1 patient. So back in 2003, 2004 timeframe. SARS-CoV-1, it's the virus that causes SARS. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID. So they're, they're cousins. So they wanted to look into this patient's blood and see if there might be antibodies that could work on both. 
we found a bunch of antibodies that did bind the SARS coronavirus to uh, spike protein, even though this patient had never been infected with SARS coronavirus 2, only with SARS coronavirus 1. So we also wanted to see, were these antibodies able to prevent viral entry? Um, and we did find a handful that were able to do that. So they found a handful of promising antibodies, one in particular. They, they isolated them and they purified them. And then they actually made their own batch. Like you can synthesize proteins out of nothing, basically. So they, they in their lab, created copies of this antibody. And they hoped that eventually they could ramp that up to make enough to actually use as a therapy. So we would create basically buckets of this antibody. And once someone was infected, we would give them the antibody. Um, and ideally, it would make the, the disease severity less or the length of symptoms shorter. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. Ideally, what they want to do is actually use a handful of different antibodies and hit multiple targets on the virus. They think that that could actually give them a lot better results because, you know, viruses are really good at mutating to evade our defenses. But if you're hitting a bunch of different targets at the same time, it makes it a lot harder for them to mutate out of this defense. The reason that combinations can be intriguing is that you lessen the ability of the virus to create what's known as escape mutants. You know, if nothing else, uh, learning the term escape mutants has made this whole thing worth it to me. <laughs> In terms of time and a timeline for all this, when can when can we see some of this enter hospitals? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, it's one of those things where anytime you ask a, a basic researcher how long, they, they get very circumspect. But the uh, upshot is maybe months. Um, not weeks, and hopefully not years. So hopefully a matter of months. It still needs to be validated in, in animals and then in humans. Right now it's just been uh, working in vitro, like in the lab, in test tubes and cell cultures and so on. So so they, they need to demonstrate that it works in real living organisms. But I'll say that the scientists definitely feel the urgency. I can tell you that I've worked under deadline pressure before, but nothing compares to these types of things because... Uh, even if you're working as fast as possible, it's not fast enough. And that's a sentiment that I've been hearing from researchers all over the place. I mean, you know, scientists tend to be really careful people, and science usually happens on pretty long, deliberate timescales. But they all recognize the urgency of the pandemic is such that, you know, they, they just need to work as fast as they humanly can. Yeah. And Dr. Grunsheimer, she's getting phone calls from doctors all over the place saying they want this convalescent plasma now. For weeks, um, when can I have it? Like I keep saying, we're all desperate. We're all desperate for, you know, something to help. Even though everybody's desperate, Dr. Grinsheimer says that doctors get into this line of work because they are optimistic people. It's such a thrilling thing when you start out going, you know, I'm going to like help people. I'm going to save lives. I'm going to make lives better. And that is happening now. I mean, this this plasma therapy that, that we've had for over a century is helping people. And so now the task for all these scientists and researchers as quickly as possible is just to refine it, fine tune it, dial it in to the point where it can help not just a few people feel a little bit better, but hopefully help enough people to actually make a real difference in this health crisis. Gabe, it's been really fun exploring this with you. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for geeking out with me. 
And that's it for this episode of Transmission. Transmission's produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. We get help from Kari Plogue, and our executive producer is Florangela Davila. We really appreciate everybody who has given us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't yet, please do so. You can also tweet feedback at Gabriel Spitzer or send it to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. And I'm Jennifer Wang. We'll catch you next time on Transmission. <laughs>